Welcome to the Hope for the Hood podcast. I'm Brian Dillard. I'm your co-host with Danny Neidich here. And uh, we are prodigal sons. We exist to make disciples as we help bridge the gap between the local church and the local gang. Normally on this podcast, it'll be Danny and I uh, interviewing various individuals with the hope of helping you as a Christian uh, love better and engage more in your community with the gang neighbors. And uh, today, though, we're going we're gonna to take an opportunity for this first episode to really get to know Danny a little more. Uh, Danny is a great friend of mine. He's the founder of Prodigal Sons. And my hope today is that as you listen to this conversation and hear Danny's story of God's leading him to start this ministry and to build it, uh, that you'll see more of Christ's heart for your neighbors, uh, that you'll be encouraged and you'll be sharpened to move more towards them in love. Danny and I founded this podcast um, really with the, with the hope and the aim of being helpful to you. And, uh, and so with that, welcome Danny. Thank you, Brian. Good to see you. You look uh, so handsome today, dude. I always look handsome. Yeah. No, I'm playing. Um, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I'm excited that we get to do this. And, um, like Brian said, this is just kind of a little kickstart introduction to this series and, um, letting you guys hear those stories of people who, from our church or people who've been caught up in lifestyle. Uh, Brian said that before, but also, yeah, just hearing our heart behind the ministry and like why we want to um, develop hearts and allow uh, those voices to be heard and equipping all of us to better love uh, our neighbors. So yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Well, uh, Danny, I know you're born and raised as an Angelino. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody already knows you founded this ministry, but why don't you share a little bit about kind of your, your background, uh, you know, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, like you said, um, born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, pretty much outside of four months of my entire life, I have lived in LA County. Amazing. Uh, the only time I lived outside of LA County was in Simi Valley and I had to get up out of there with the quickness. So, <laughs> um, but no, uh, literally my whole lot to live in LA County. Um, grew up right there by the airport. Uh, I went to an elementary school, not far from my house. I went to, a, I actually ended up going to a private school out in the Valley, the San Fernando Valley, um, in my teenage years, but I come from, uh, uh, multi-mixed family, uh, meaning multi-racial, multi-ethnic. My, my dad's side, my dad's side is, a is, is Caucasian. It's a mix of European blood. And then my mom's side is Latino. I think, let me think now we are probably third generation, um, Chicano on that side of the family. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm mixed, but for me, uh, I always gravitated more towards my mom's side of the family. We were just always doing stuff with them. My grandma like helped take care of me and my brother all the time. Um, so I kind of just gravitated towards that side of my family a lot. I'm I'm really close to my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, second cousins, third cousins, uh, great aunts. <laughs> you know, it's just we're we're a big family and we're we're really tight and connected. And um, yeah, just. That's culturally, which I just, I guess I identified with more with mm. my family and my upbringing. So, so that's, that's awesome. That's like definitely 
a really enviable opportunity to grow up around so much family and yeah and they're um, all and they're all local too so oh, it's sweet like, yeah like i don't most of them i don't have to travel out of state to ever go see them you know so, yeah yeah what um i mean just as far as like your spiritual life um you know share a little bit about that yeah um i became a christian my sophomore year at a christian college <laughs> and i was a year and a half <laughs> okay. in and i realized hey I'm not a Christian, but that's probably not uncommon for a lot of people, honestly. So, but yeah, I, I, um, I grew up around church. Well, I grew up kind of in the church, but my mom, my mom had me going to church with her sometimes. And I was always going to like the kids program stuff, but my dad wasn't a believer until I was about 10 or 11. So, um, yeah, I was, I was kind of somewhat raised in church, uh, when my dad became a believer, like it was like the whole family just kind of was way more involved. They were serving more and everything. But um, I was like 11 or 12 at the time or 10 maybe. But when I hit at it, like when I hit my teenage years, I just wanted nothing to do with Christianity. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, Christianity was kind of boring to me and there was no fun in it. And um, yeah, I just wanted nothing to do with it. My parents weren't trying to like force religion on me i would say or force but i i don't know they they were trying to raise me in the lord but i just i didn't want nothing to do with it and i didn't want to go to church and i just kind of wanted to do my own thing and so um when i graduated high school and probably up until i was maybe about 22 i was away from like a lot of my friends in high school and so i was around my brother and some of his friends who were christians or recent christians and my cousin and some of their friends that were believers. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, I guess a lot of good influences. Mm. So I wasn't doing a lot of stuff. I was, I wasn't really into partying as much at that time. And um, I don't know, it was just fun. That was the first time I think I was around Christians. I was like, Oh, this is kind of fun. Like, you know, it's not, I don't know, just boring. I guess you can say I mean, I was young at that time too, you know? So, but when I went to, uh, college at the Christian college. I started a little bit later than most college students, but my second year in, I uh, was pretty much challenged with what do you believe and how do you know it's true? Do you mm -hmm. believe it because people tell you or do you believe it because God's word tells you? So when I had to kind of reevaluate, like, do I believe God and Christ and the gospel and all that stuff because what scripture says, or is it because I just have been around and been hearing it my whole life? And mm -hmm. um, I realized I wasn't saved. And so I accepted the Lord and uh at that time and yeah that's kind of the it's uh, awesome salvation story what so i mean from that point like what's your christian journey look like i mean there's been ups and downs like any christian has like there's been seasons for sure where i kind of fell back into like my old lifestyle what i mean that i mean i just say partying a lot and um i don't know like I got to a point, I don't know how old I was, but just in some of my experiences at different churches and um, Christian institutions and organizations or whatever you want to call them, like I was, I just kind of was left with a bad taste in my mouth. I kind of was uh, not treated, I don't know, just maybe as we should be treating fellow brothers and sisters, I guess. But like a lot of it was based on like cultural context and race and just the way also, aside from that, just how people 
saw other people in the church. And what I mean by that was I would see how people would treat me versus treat like pastors or staffs in, mm. in church offices. And I was like, man, like <laughs> they didn't even ask me how I'm doing. Like, mm. and it was just very, it was just like a lot, of, but I mean, you know, you couple that with a lot of like racial and cultural context and it, it hurts a lot. And mm. so it was easy for me not to trust church and like pull back. You know, I still wanted to grow in my faith, but I didn't want all the Christian church fellowship stuff that came along with it. And so, but also in that season, you know, those are the circumstances, right? Like, and the circumstances were like, this is frustrating me. I don't want to be a part of it, but I wasn't looking at God in the, in the circumstances. I was just looking at the circumstances. So as I pulled away from the church context and not trusting that, I realized that I wasn't pulling towards God. And so it left me to kind of fall back into sinful habits again and partying and all that stuff. And I kind of just felt depressed and struggling. And mm. then I found Cornerstone West LA in like 2011. And it, I didn't find it, find it like I founded the church. It was more <laughs> like I, I came upon it because I had friends that go here. But um, they invited me and I started going and it took a long time, but I had that wall up. I was like, I'm just going to come and listen because mm. you know, the gospel was being preached and the word was being preached. And then I was like, oh man, like I don't want to get involved in the fellowship. That's mm. not what I want to do. And then God changed all that and just showed me what a church family really looks like. And, you know, I didn't ever think I was gonna be a pastor and like that. And God opened that door last year and brought me towards that part of leadership or not even, I don't even say leadership sometimes, but just serving. Um, so and now you're planting and now we're church planting, planting. Church um, from out of here. Yeah. From out of here. I'm still connected in terms of like what prodigal is doing here at Cornerstone and like outreaching to the neighborhood. But yeah, on Sundays, we are in South LA. So, so um, you mentioned Prodigal. So let's kind of like, you know, back it up a little bit. So um, when did you start having a heart for um, those in the gangs, uh, for people in that culture? Uh, yeah, maybe start there. So for me, I had loved ones that were involved with this lifestyle. I have, you know, family members. Um, relatives that were caught up in it. I was never caught up in it, but as far back as I remember, it was just normal mm. um, in my family. And it wasn't like, I, like as a kid, I saw the violence and everything, but like, and it wasn't in my immediate family either. I'm just talking about relatives, like, but it was just like, yeah, like as long as far back as I remember that, that gang fabric was woven into my family tree mm. and it was normal, like, I like like I said I didn't see any of the the craziness that kind of comes along with it at times but um it just I didn't have any thought of like oh no like uh you know I'm scared or I'm nervous or like why are we why do we have gang members as family members and all that like mm -hmm. that wasn't any of my thoughts at all like it's just it was your, just, your it was people just how it was yeah mm -hmm. and um like you know you I would see like loved ones with their names on the walls. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. And then that's their friend who I've met before. And mm. I mean, this is all as a kid, you know, you just, yeah. so, mm. but then as I got older, I kind of met some friends even out in the Valley at the private school I was at, like they were uh, either associated or affiliated with, with some of it. Um, and so I kind of met friends too along the way. And again, like I wasn't involved. I wasn't like hanging out and posting up and stuff like that. It was just, this was just 
people we knew. And in the nineties, when I was a teenager, like that was like LA was like just mm-hmm. gang banging was like crazy. And so mm-hmm. if anything, my perspective kind of started shifting towards like, um, just kind of know your surroundings or know what's up. Like, don't do these things. Don't wear that over here. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't act this way. If you're, mm-hmm. I used to get hit up at different times, like, you know, where are you from? And I would just say nowhere. Or if I was like somewhere like outside of LA, like in the Valley, I'd be like, Oh, I'm, I live in LA, but so for yeah. the, for, for those who don't know what that means, explain that the, like the hit up and oh, you, from. Yeah, usually, you know, gang members will kind of, you know, see like, they'll ask you where you from to see if you're from another neighborhood, you mm-hmm. know, they want to know that, you know? And so I would get getting hit up means like they, they ask you like, you know, where you from or, you know, what, what gang are you part yeah, what, of? Or, yeah. What, what neighborhood are you from? What, so they want to know. And you know, that's not always the best question to be mm-hmm. receiving. So, um, but I would say, um, as time went on, I kind of got out of my, as probably like my late teens, early twenties, I would say that I think that's where the heart burden developed. Um, mm. I was thinking a lot about like loved ones that were involved, friends that I met along the way and some of the stuff that they had been through, but like, I was just seeing this and I think. I felt very just burdened for like, man, I don't want nothing to happen to my loved ones. I don't want to see, you know, my friends have their houses shut up. I don't want to see, mm. um, I just don't want them not to go through all that. Like I felt burdened. And if you want to call it worried, you know, it was all those things. <clears throat> and so I think that's where the burden kind of first started because like I said, up until that point, like teenage years, it was just kind of like, how do you conduct yourself? And you know what to do in these mm. situations. And when I was a kid, like I said, it was just like normal because you didn't see any of the, at least for me, I didn't see any of the um, craziness. But um, I became a believer. And then a couple of years after that is when I started doing outreach with a couple of guys from the Valley. I met some other guys from neighborhoods out there. And, um, you know, they were just, these these guys who were ministering to them were just trying to live life with them and point them to Christ. And uh, I think that's where the burden grew for the culture as a whole, not just the people I knew, but mm-hmm. like the culture as a whole, because I saw their stories. I got to know them and it was exact same story pretty much or experiences that like my loved ones and my friends had gone through. So that's kind of like where the burden for the, the broader, for the gang culture like developed was like God using the experiences that I knew the people from my whole life. And then also using that, ministering in the valley some year like you know many years ago to kind of like really have a heart for the culture and wanting Mm -hmm. to focus on just showing them christ so so when you showed up in 2011 to cornerstone west la and you were having this kind of uh maybe like redemptive experience as part of a church here um from from my recollection, somewhere early on, uh, you kind of you started engaging with some of the gang in this context, or how did how did yeah how did Prodigal get started? Um, uh, came to Cornerstone two thousand eleven. I I kind of had a burden just to want to do something to minister to the street culture of some sort. Uh, I didn't know what that all meant yet, but <clears throat> I remember talking to Pastor Matt and. 
just saying, yeah, I had this burden. I want to do something and do it as a ministry of the church. In 2013, like started Prodigal, just a simple ministry as part of Cornerstone at the time. And in 2016, Pastor Matt and Pastor Scott encouraged me to, you know, start it as a kind of like as a nonprofit ministry in order to kind of um, it's like make it more of like a vocational mm. type of thing and to dedicate time in my life towards, mm. towards this. Um, but when I came, I think this is where the kind of God put the whole puzzle together a little bit. Cause there was, like I said, this desire and this burden to want to reach people caught up in that lifestyle and minister to them in any way, you know, help meet needs and everything and just live life with, live life with them. Um, kind of in that, I guess you can say like a discipleship style way, but you know, pre-discipleship, whatever you want to call it. Um, but when I came to Cornerstone and I kind of fell back in love with like the church and seeing the church family um, for what it truly is, uh, that's where I think God put the whole puzzle together where it was like, oh, it's not just about ministering to the guys. It's about um, how does the church step into ministering? Like how does the church be the church to this specific culture? Um, and how, how, when you see a guy coming out of that lifestyle and that family, how can he experience that same familial bond in a sense mm. with the church? Um, and it was a lot about like the church has a missional call. Like, why is this group being neglected? Mm. You know, not every church is not doing, I mean, there are churches that are definitely on the front lines, like ministering to this culture. But when you look at how many churches are out there, how many gangs are out there, how many gang members are out there. Like I saw the picture of like, oh, the the church is one of my friend, my friend Chris Brosset said, um, the church is the only only entity that can bring real redemption to to that culture. You know? And so that's where it was. We're seeing like, oh, prodigal started wanting to reach out to the gang members, but also to bring the church alongside and partaking in that ministering as well mm, and, and equipping their heart, equipping their heart to, you know, it's not just going and doing, but actually having a heart for the people that are God's image bearers. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you and I first befriended one another, um, you know, after that guy was shot, you paid yeah. me, didn't you pay me money to, I paid you friend? loads of cash <laughs> to be my friend. <laughs> no. So my family, you know, my family moved into South central in 2015 and shortly thereafter, um, a guy was shot and killed yeah. at a park nearby. And, um, when I reached out to you and we started talking, I was working with a different ministry at the time. Um, but over the years, what I have been so, um, impressed by or thankful for and really why I joined you in addition to just respecting and being your friend is, um, is that centrality of like seeing God's family, the church that he's building, um, as the, the context for not only reaching people for Christ, but, but discipleship and lifelong growth and love. Um, and I mean, that's, you know, that's where the name for the podcast even comes from, right? The hope for the hood. Like it's, it's the church knowing the gospel, sharing the gospel, living out the gospel, um, with others, you know, among them and also outside of their walls. Um, and that's really what we want to see. And that's why as a ministry, we focus on equipping local churches for engagement with 
with their gang neighbors. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, just as you think about since founding the ministry, um, what what are some of the ways you've seen God at work, both on the on the side of the gang, but also within the context of churches, um, maybe growing hard or moving towards their neighbors? Um, I would say there's a couple of things that stand out. I mean, I think the fact that, you know, a, a lot of the context of the ministering was done th- through Cornerstone West Los Angeles, mm-hmm. the church um, you're a part of, I've been a part of, um, and in the context of where we're at. And so I think one of the first things that stands out is just how God opened the doors to bring the, the neighborhood that's over here and the church together. Um, mm. And just the fact that the, the neighborhood sees the church as a place that accepts them and welcomes them onto their campus and um, allows them to do things here at the church, like car shows and car washes and, you know, when they have to raise funeral expenses and just inviting them in. Um, I think that's one thing. You're just seeing how God opened that door because I didn't, I didn't necessarily know anybody over here when I, when I first uh, started coming to Cornerstone and I even first started the ministry, it was just, I had ended up having a friend who knew somebody and then that mm. person, you know, introduced me to everybody and it just, the relationships all just slowly started building off of that. And um, I say that just seeing how the church is just so open with its campus and mm. resources and things like that. And just seeing the, the, the neighborhood, the guys so grateful and thankful that there's a place in their neighborhood that still accepts them and uh, invites them in and welcomes them and all that stuff, you know? And so um, also just seeing how people in our church, I mean, there's, there's other people we've been connected to from other neighborhoods and other parts of the city, you know, and then we're not really doing outreach for their neighborhoods over here or anything like that, but we've just been connected. And so we do stuff like take food boxes to them or um, yeah. I mean, things like that, like, you know, there's been some like um, financial helps maybe that have been needed, you know, just trying to bless them, you know, in their context and stuff. And so having our church even meet people outside of this area and, and minister um, and get to know some of those individuals um, in other parts of our city has been also a blessing. Just seeing, just seeing like those walls slowly break down and hopefully you just kind of see more and more of the bridge being, being built. Um, Yeah. Just seeing that on our church has been great. I, I would also say my friend, um, Rudy, my good friend who, uh, he got baptized here. I I met him. He was already a believer. Um, God did a lot of, uh, um, well, like he does in all of us, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, did work in his heart and his life. And he shared his testimony here. He got baptized here on Easter some years ago. And that's not even like a, a, I don't even want to look, I mean, it is like, a ministry milestone, if you want to say, I don't even want to look at it like that though. It's more like just friendship. Like you're excited to see your friend mm-hmm. or your brother, like, you know, follow uh, the Lord in those steps and also share his story with people to kind of let people know what God's done for him and everything. And so uh, just seeing, seeing things like that 
I would say have mm-hmm. been um, some things that stand out to me. It's awesome. Um, you mentioned, you know, I mentioned this church, um, and we've talked already here about the reality of the church, local churches being central. Um, when you think about like just that that picture you painted earlier of what you experienced in the valley, where this you've, you're meeting more gang gang individuals and you're seeing the widespread realities and you're seeing this gap between, you know, these guys and men and women hearing the gospel through churches. Like, um, as you reflect on, on everything, like why would you say churches and their members are central in, in this mission in reaching, you know, the local, local gangs? Uh, excuse me. Um, I mean, simply put in some ways, that's not that simple, but simply put, like you look at the call of like the, the great commission, the call of the church, why it's like Jesus tells the disciple, you know, go make, uh, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, you know, Judea, Samaria, like, you know, he, he hears that that calling at the end of Matthew and um, like that's the call for us as believers, as the church, like, you know, we are to go and make disciples, you know? And um, I think, I think when you look at ministering, like if, if I'm just out there by myself or any random person's out there trying to like, you know, minister to any individual, like, yeah, you can like, convert and maybe there's a conversion that happens or someone comes into the Lord, but like that's, that's not the end game. Like the end game is disciples, you know, mm-hmm. making like living, you know, you're multiplying disciples over and over again. Like th- those individuals that maybe God has you involved in their life, like they're going to turn around and go make disciples as well. And that happens in the context of the church, you know, a person just out there on their own solo, like there's nothing for that person to, to like land in if, mm-hmm. if it's just like, Oh, like know the Lord. Cool. You made the profession of faith. You know, I'm sure they would be invited to a church, but like the reality is the church should be um, a part of that. And there's a lot of missionaries out there in other contexts that are doing that work. And so like, I don't want to discredit that. I'm just talking about in the context of where we're at with the local church. Like it's so crucial with the missional call that the church has in scripture. Mm. Um, that's just like a general picture and stuff. So, yeah. So that's the call, the call of the church to make disciples, um, particularly if, if, even as they think about their specific context, um, reaching their neighbors. But I, you know, I think, and this is speaking from my experience, even, you know, in my different churches I've been a part of, like, um, I think it's reasonable for people to ask like, well, you know, why should we, uh, care about this particular neighbor, this particular subculture? Um, you know, what, so, so what would you say? Like what, why should gangs be considered and reached by, by the church, even, even by churches who don't necessarily have exposure to that culture, um, or, you know, some of those dynamics. I would say, that 
these are people who are made in God's image. And I think in, especially in society, society has assigned labels to people, groups, and people that has created like a chasm. Mm. And I think, um, unfortunately, that, that influence has bled over into the church and the Christian contexts of, oh, you know, um, it's almost like you stay in your little bubble and you kind of avoid the things that don't, that make you a little uncomfortable or the people that you're supposed to quote unquote avoid in society, like all that, I think kind of sometimes bleeds over into the church, even though we don't, we might not truly recognize it. Um, Mm. But these are like image bearers, you know, like whether it's a gang member or whether it's a homeless person or an addict or a, a former inmate, like, you know, even though I just kind of, gave the name or the label that mm. they're all like I think we look at the label and we don't look at the person and we just go with whatever description is attached to that label instead of seeing them as people as God's image bearers as people who have value and that we're if, if they're people like we're called to show compassion like that's one of the passages I always think about a lot as Jesus I think it's at the end of chapter 9 in Matthew where it says Jesus saw the the multitudes and had compassion like he just saw people and had compassion there wasn't mm-hmm. nothing that they did he just saw them and had compassion the good samaritan passage right is like another one where the samaritan just saw the man and was moved to compassion and that compassion mm-hmm. acted itself out you know um and so i think the context of not being like why you should care about subculture is like you know when you we care about people like it's not conditional. And I think we operate sometimes a little too conditionally on like, oh, is this person like me? Are they in the same life stage? You know, do we have the same things in common? Like, oh, this is just easier to gravitate towards. And we don't think beyond kind of that bubble still, like even in in the context of who, and it's great that we're all ministering to people, you know, but like when it just kind of is that, oh, like this is just easier for me. Like we're not seeing beyond like, what God has called us to, you know, you look at Jesus too, like Jesus came and he ministered to demon possessed and mm-hmm. people who had illnesses and tax collectors and prostitutes and, you know, the Samaritan mm-hmm. woman at the well and um, just a variety of people. And he, he confronted a lot, the elite in his society, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think in our society, we kind of look at the elite and like the comforts and be like, Oh, like that's what we should aspire to let's avoid everything that kind of mm-hmm. goes against that. Whereas Jesus was just like, I'm here for all these people. Like I'm here. You know? Yeah. I mean, when you, when you read through the gospels and even the book of acts, like in particular, these narratives, you see like Christ's way of going about life and Christ's way of engaging with, with people and how he chose to do that. It, it, it kind of confronts the way we do it. And, um, and so, you know, I think it's helpful. And again, to reiterate, like why we started this podcast is in part to help hold before you as a listener, um, these neighbors, um, to say, Hey, here's, you know, these, these folks are out there. And even as you brought up that passage about, um, you know, Christ looking at the crowds and having compassion, it's like, we have to see we have to know and know who's who's there. And so um, I think our hope is that as you hear various stories and even people trying to 
take steps towards seeing and, and loving. Um, but that'll be something God does in you where he kind of lifts your eyes and says, wait, like, look at, look at these folks over here. Um, like, you know, move towards them as well. Would you, I mean, is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent agree with all of that. I, I was also thinking just a little bit too, as, cause I was realizing even in answering to that, uh, the previous question, like, I think I, like we're always able to take the theology we know and share and say, oh yeah, biblically, this is what we should do. Hmm. And, you know, can easily, um, you know, we're, we're supposed to put hands and feet to that theology. Um, and, you know, again, we're, we're called every Sunday to kind of go live out what we hear in the, in the pulpit. Right. But I also look at like, again, I guess just go back to the missional call, but just some other aspects of, you know, like in, in, in LA, like, like I said this a few minutes ago, there's so many churches, but there's so many gangs and gang members. Like you can't really escape any part of LA. Like you're never going to drive in any part of LA County, like an hour and then finally be in a gang neighborhood. Like they're just all over. Like mm-hmm. even if you're in Malibu, yeah, maybe you're pretty secluded from it. But like if you're in um, Santa Clarita, I lived out there for a little while. Like it's the suburbs is where you go get away from the city and you raise a family and there's four or five gangs out there. Um, and, you know, you look at the San Fernando Valley, another place that they was called, you know, it was kind of like the suburbs. You look at the hill communities like Encino or Tarzan. It's like, the next city's over a gang community, Van Nuys and, and Reseda, like you're not far from it or you're potentially living in one. You just don't realize it. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of places out here that, and so you're not far from it. And when you look at, we're called to love our neighbors, like you might not see them every day, but they are there as your neighbors. And there's so much beyond what, we hear about them in, 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 in the media. Like when you really get to know a person and see them, know their life experiences, know their story. And it's not about like a pity party thing or anything like that. It's just you, your God works in your heart to like mm. see people and see that there's just more to it than just what society and media has labeled. Again, going back to the labels, labeled them as. And you're also like really blessed when you get to know somebody mm. like and like i'm surprised how i'm not surprised i'm just really blessed to see how much the guys that i've met along the all these years and along the way i've like really cared about me and loved me and it's not about me but it's like it's a blessing though you know <laughs> you just realize that after the fact and um i think yeah just there there's like this also this picture of just like man there's like something so potentially beautiful to the world where you have this person who grew up in the suburbs and had all the opportunities to go to college and graduate, get a business job, whatever you have you. And you have this person over here who just had a rough upbringing, maybe the time in in prison, whatever it is. And yet Christ can bring that together Mm. and it can be a beautiful picture to the outside world that tells you, no, these two worlds are supposed to be apart, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, I just think all those things, like when you kind of strip away what, like what our comforts are telling us, what society is telling us, and you kind of just let God massage our hearts with compassion and love and getting to really know people, 
Mm. And taking time to be intentional, not just treating people like a project or like, oh, let me just say hi to them. Like it, it's, it's different and it changes your heart and your view. And that, that's across the board. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to go through the experience of living in the suburbs of Orange County to be friends with people in Orange County. Mm. And we live completely different lives. I didn't have to, you know, I'm not, I'm not the most heavy on education, I guess. I didn't do too good in school, but like, I know have a lot of friends that are very much into education and have a very a lot are of you, book wisdom. Are you calling me smart? Yes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I didn't, I mean, I don't feel like I don't have to like, okay, mm-hmm. in order to identify with this person, I need to have all this education and this mm-hmm. business savvy about me. Like there's nothing in common with that, but like, there's still such a blessing when you, when you, um, when you see how God brings all that together mm. and stuff and like, you don't have to necessarily step in shoes. I think you kind of just be a person that listens, that learns, that wants to love people well, but you also have your own unique experiences. But when God brings it all together, it's just. Mm. A, yeah. It reminds you know. me of a variety of places, right. In the new Testament where you have like all these qualifiers or categories of types of people. And yet there's one you know, one Lord, one savior, one spirit, one gospel. Um, and I think that's the beautiful picture that we have that one, one Lord and, um, one way to be reconciled to God through Christ. Um, we all need him. So, so coming out of the pandemic, uh, it's, I think it's been a, it was a crazy season, uh, a overwhelming season, particularly for a lot of people who are pastors, ministry leaders, Um, but, but as we come out of it, I think there's this renewed sense of opportunity for engaging with, with our communities. Um, and so as you, as you kind of recognize that moment as well, like what, what would you share with people just in terms of good starting points for engaging, um, in their community or maybe some initial steps, uh, to take, it was particularly towards like gang neighbors. Yeah, I mean, the first and obvious is always prayer. I think, yeah, praying, you know, if if you don't know of a gang in your area or you don't know even a person who's involved with it or a family that's affected by it, like, I would just say just generally lifting up the gangs or gang members in our city, you know, when you pray. Um, if you are familiar with your community context, a little bit at least know about the neighborhood that's over there, like, you know, praying specifically for the neighborhood. If you know an individual, pray for that individual, you know, mm-hmm. or a family. Like I would just say, whatever context and knowledge you have, take that before the Lord and praying for those individuals or those communities. Um, but yeah, prayer is obviously like the first thing. I would say um, taking the time to be a learner and just, um, I, I this is always a hard one because I don't want to always just encourage like, oh, let's just sit here and just collect information. You know, like I said earlier, the information should help apply and move itself outward towards, like I said, application and stuff like that. But like, I think listening and learning, I mean, it's a culture that, you know, not a lot of people are familiar with, um, at least in the church circles that we are trying to minister to, right? Like I said earlier, there's a lot of churches out there that are still doing already ministering to the hood, you know, because of their context and location, or maybe they come from that lifestyle and just are able to connect more. So there's praise God for those churches that are doing that already, you know? Um, 
but I think the churches that, you know, when we talk about prodigal, you, you know, we look at a church like what Cornerstone was at and just, um, they, there was no connection or familiarity and they're in a, they were in a neighborhood that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the gang has been here since the 1940s, mm-hmm. you know, decades. And so I think just taking the time to learn about your community, learn what it's like, the experiences people have to go through because those experiences, like this is happening in the apartment next to your church or, or next to your house or, you know, in the house or the park across the street or like wherever, mm-hmm. whatever's in your context or in your neighborhood, like, these experiences and the difficulties and the hardships, the trauma, all these things that happen for a lot of these guys, like, and women, um, these are happening in your area Mm. and learning about the culture just to be better engaged. And, um, because I think too, like if, if, if we don't take that time to like, listen and learn, I think, especially with like the, the cultural gap that's there between some of the churches and, and that, and that specific street culture, like, it can be very easy to retreat back when you go like, Oh, okay. Like I'm called to have a heart for the hood. And then you go, okay, I don't know nothing about it, but I'm going to go just up to this group of 10 guys at the park. And then they get aggressive with you and you're like, Oh, what am I doing? Okay. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. You know, at least you kind of have some sort of like, and also coming with the heart, like when you have that heart that's rooted in Christ and gospel and compassion and hope, like that aspect will anchor you um, to when you do, when there, when this just goes for ministry in general, when you have difficulties in ministry, like, okay, there's a bigger picture that's going to make sure it doesn't deter me from mm-hmm. continuing on, you know, mm-hmm. when it's really hard and it's very aggressive or in your face and you're like, why, why is this happening? It's like, oh, you know what? Like, this is how it is. And I got to have compassion for that because it's just a different context than what I'm used to, mm. you know? And not also, I think also going, going and listening and learning because you're not coming in with your own pre, you know, pre, what is it, presuppositions or whatever and saying, oh, well, this is how your life should be. Like, yeah, like, you don't, mm. that's, that's such a like arrogant sort of privileged position to come in and say like, why don't you live this way? Mm. Like this way I lived, mm. like you should, but understanding like there's so many layers and complexities to a person's story. That's mm. just not as easy as it was maybe for you. So it's good to come in and learn. Uh, that's why we do things like the seminar and the equipping group. So for those listening, this equipping group and the seminar are two opportunities we give in addition to this podcast that are tailored to help you uh, grow in your love for people and particularly uh, your love for neighbors that are gang involved. So reach out to us. Uh, we'd love to tailor equipping more and more for you. And because we have an awesome team of generous donors, we can do that uh, with no charge. So excited to excited to walk with you more. Uh, but Danny, tell us how people can get in touch with you, man. And you can just reach out to me. Yeah. Daniel at prodigal sons, Inc.org. Daniel at prodigal sons, S O N S I N C.org. Awesome, man. Uh, what else comes to mind? Just as a, just if, if if there's, if there's a person listening who doesn't know our salad joking around, I just want to clarify because I know this could, Brian didn't really pay me to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> just as a FYI, he is a real blessing to me. I'm very grateful for him. And awesome. um, just want to make that disclaimer because I know that it can fall on people's ears and be like, wait, what really happened? <laughs> Danny, thanks, man. 
This has been an episode of the Hope for the Hood podcast by Prodigal Sons Incorporated. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to Cornerstone West Los Angeles, where we host this podcast, Adam Bond for editing, and of course, those who regularly give to support the ministry of Prodigal Sons. Thanks for liking and subscribing. We'll catch you next time right here on the Hope for the Hood podcast.